Welcome to Voices of E-Learning, reflecting the people living and breathing the future of education and online learning with your host, J.W. Marshall. Hello and welcome everyone to today's episode of Voices of E-Learning. I'm your host, J.W. Marshall with MarketScale, and we're glad you found us today. Today's guest is Marcy Klein, MD, and she is the co-founder and president of Three Ducks Design. Marcy, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And uh, we've been having some great conversations uh, throughout 2020, and I'm excited to finally have you on the podcast um, because I I think our audience will really be interested and engaged in what you're doing and, um, you know, the exciting future uh, of Three Ducks Design. Before we jump in, if you could just give our audience a little bit of background on yourself and kind of how Three Ducks Design uh, came to be, and uh, then we'll dive into some questions. That sounds great. Um, So yeah, I can start with an introduction to myself. Um, I am a pediatrician. I went to NYU Medical School way back in the 90s. I've been um, a clinical and academic pediatrician for over 20 years. And I'm also a mom of some pretty creative kids. So um, I was very happy in my pediatric career for many years. And then about three years ago, my own kids developed an architecture modeling system, which is now Three Ducks Design, um, based on their own experiences as little kids playing with cardboard. And then as high school students, my daughter took an architecture class one summer at Columbia University in New York. And she said, architects do what we did when we were little. And architecture is really cool because it really blends the arts with um, more STEM related subjects like technology, math, and geometry, physics. Things that she was always very good at, but never really had a passion for as much as art. And when she took the architecture class, she just fell in love with the way architecture um, blends the STEM subjects with the arts and also brings in humanity and the way people use spaces. And she thought that that would be an amazing experience for children when they were little, and it would really inspire them more into the sciences if they're shy about those subjects. Um, As a mom and a pediatrician, I agreed with her concepts, and I thought that having a little fun entrepreneurial experience for my daughter would be really cool. Um, So my daughter hired um, her younger brother, Ethan, to 3D print some connectors that fit the average Amazon box, and they went to the local farmer's market with their connectors and some cut-up cardboard. And... um, Nobody left our booth. The kids loved it. Parents loved it. It was just a great feel-good moment. Kids were building monstrous structures, little tiny characters, and everything in between. Um, And what was really interesting was that um, random people who were at that farmer's market, including teachers, wanted to get a whole pack of them for their classroom. Um, After that day, we sold out of what we had created. And about a week later, we started a company. Um, And over three years, we've been, um, we've scaled quite a bit. We're not 3D printing our connectors. I'm no longer working as a pediatrician. I'm full-time working for my kids for our company. And we are um, creating products for schools around the world. That is one of the best stories. I love it every time you tell it. Uh, So thank you for sharing that with our audience. Um, 
t- where to begin, uh, talk a little bit about your perspective as far as, um, you touched on this a little bit, but really encouraging creativity and STEM at early ages. I know as a pediatrician, as a, as a parent, um, you know, it's tough sometimes you feel like uh, creativity gets squashed as students, you know, get older or even at younger ages. Uh, talk about that importance. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, back in the old days, even before I was a kid, I suppose, you know, kids didn't have a toy for every single thing. They had to create their own toys um, and they had to innovate. So they might use the same sticks outside and create anything that they could imagine out of it. They really had to be innovators. Nowadays with modern toys, um, everything is made with instructions and all you really have to do is follow the rules and then you have that beautiful castle. So there's really no inspiration for the kids to really have to use their own creativity to design something. It's already designed for them. And unfortunately, with the way modern education is, I'm focused again on, you know, very specific milestones and standards that children have to attain. Um, The open-endedness and the inquiry base, the creativity in school is also lacking. Um, So I've noticed that as just a pediatrician, but even more so with my own children Um, and just my experiences in our local school where I would be a teacher and want to, you know, like not a teacher, but like one of the parents coming in, I got a script for what I was supposed to do as opposed to like going in and teaching what I thought was really cool for kids to learn. Um, So I think that across the board between the toy industry and modern technology and even in schools, there's just no real, although it's changing now, um, there has not been a huge push for creativity, innovation, thinking outside of the box. Um, When my kids were little, um, we were very creativity based and um, it really started early on when my daughter had I think she was two or three and she bought a stuffed, she wanted to buy a stuffed animal for my husband. And I'm like, honey, I know you love stuffed animals, but you really have to think about daddy and what daddy would want. Cause I don't think he really wants a stuffed animal for his birthday. I think you want a stuffed animal. Um, and what I didn't realize at the time was what it is, is design thinking, using empathy and understanding your customer or your loved one and designing something for them, not for yourself. So after she, that experience, we started making our own gifts. We were not buying gifts anymore from the time she was like three years old. We really had to think about the person we were giving the gift to, and then we would make it for them. So of course, cardboard was always the go-to product because it's so open-ended and everybody has it and it's easy to work with. So my own kids used, you know, creativity to design things. So if their cousin had a hamster, we would design an entire habit trial system for the hamster, making elevators and pulleys. And my kids really had to use STEM concepts, their hands and 3D modeling to, um, you know, to design something for the end user, whether it was a human or a hamster. So I think that was part of what inspired my kids and made it so easy for them when they became teenagers to say, there's a problem in this world with kids not getting the tools that they need to learn creativity and we've had such creative experience like 
we want to share that with other kids and inspire other kids in that way. Um, so that's kind of how our product was developed and morphed. And it's really rooted in inspiring creativity, um, in part because it was designed by creative kids. That's amazing. And I'm glad you touched on design thinking for our audience. Maybe uh, just back up a step. And what mm-hmm. is design thinking at its most basic level? Yeah, I'll try not to butcher this question. Um, it's it's actually, it's interesting because design thinking is a term, but it's like something that people should be just doing naturally. Um, design thinking is a way of thinking about the end user rather than yourself and designing something for that end user. So I guess, for example, if you were designing a sustainable energy source in the middle of sub-Saharan Africa, you probably wouldn't want to use water power because there's no water there. So if a child is you know, seven or eight years old and they're designing sustainable system um, for energy production in their own community and they have a waterfall there, they might think of that, but they're not using the design thinking process and thinking about the people that they're designing for. They're thinking about their own environment. So design thinking really opens kids up and adults to empathy, which is thinking about the end user and how they experience and how you can help them, not yourself. I love it. And as far as your uh, product goes, is it curriculum? Is it software-based? Are there uh, physical components? Give our audience an idea. And I know it's tough not being on video to show it. And there'll be a link in the blog to you know see this in action because you can't fully understand it uh, you know without seeing it. But give a, give our audience a little bit of a uh, an overview of of what's what what this entails. Yeah. So at its very most basic level, they're actually just connectors that are designed to fit your average Amazon box or FedEx box, UPS box. So any cardboard box can be cut up. And these connectors essentially replace duct tape and glue, but they also allow the user to create really beautiful, perfectly shaped 3D models as opposed to tape, which kind of in your mind might look like a castle, but then when you're done building it, it somehow doesn't always turn out exactly the way you anticipated because tape is not so easy to work with. Um, The other benefit of the actual physical product that we have is that because the connectors are easy to put on and off, a three-year-old can actually build a house um, out of cardboard where normally they wouldn't be able to. Um, So the very most basic structure a part, part of our product is six different shaped connectors that allow for complex modeling with cardboard. Um, as we morphed as a company, um, we've grown quite a bit from those first few connectors that we designed. And we discovered that um, while cardboard is a great medium, if you're selling to a school and you are a teacher in kindergarten and you have 25 students, cutting cardboard for 25 students is not really fun. And um, (laughs) there's a lot of cutting and the kids are gonna go through that cardboard faster than you can make more. So very early in the process, we created um, geometric cardboard shapes. They're all extremely open-ended. So unlike some toys like, you know, Lego or some other toys out there, they're not specific shapes meant for specific things. So they really keep like a basic circle could be anything. It could be a face, it could be a tail, or it could be a chimney or smoke coming out of a chimney or 
or a window. So the shapes are so open-ended that kids really do have to use their creativity and envision what they're building as opposed to being told what it is. So that was like year one product um, and connectors and cardboard. And our cardboard is also paintable. So kids can really decorate it however they want. Um, so that's kind of like the beginning of our product and program. Um, what we discovered very quickly was that teachers, while they love the open-endedness of our product, they do need a little bit of um, a structure for what to do with it. And that kind of bled into a whole, what's now a whole line of lesson plans and a whole curriculum, which can be downloaded, um, but it's also web-based. So what we're morphing into now that we have this entire curriculum, which is actually called Global Futures, it's all based on sustainability and um, sustainable development goals from the UN. So creating a better world, essentially. Um, we are now starting to morph into connecting students globally. So children in Kenya or in Vermont or Uzbekistan can actually do the same challenge and um, have their own spin on it, their own perspective based on their own community and their own understanding of how to solve problems. And they can showcase it on our website, which um, allows other people to see how the children in Uzbekistan think about sustainable energy differently than the children in Mabita, Kenya. That is amazing. That's a really um, long answer to yes, yeah. your physical product and web-based program. <laughs> you could just yeah. use that if you want. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect, and it, and it gives um, a range, you know, from uh, a school or school district even to a parent. I would imagine could work with the cardboard and and kind of the more basic, um, you know, starter, you know, package. Yeah, we actually, since it was inspired um, by COVID, but um, it's kind of taken a life of its own. We really, um, early on during the pandemic, when kids, I knew kids were going to be, that's a benefit of being a pediatrician, I guess. Um, I just kind of knew in January, like the next year is going to be a mess and kids are not going to school. So very early on, we started creating content that is really family friendly. And the nice thing about me not being a teacher and having gone through education school um, and being a pediatrician is I really know how to talk to parents and children. Um, so a lot of our content that's geared towards parents is um, not that I did it on purpose, but it's written for parents to understand and utilize based on my 20 years of experience working with parents and children. So we have a whole line of curriculum and lesson plans and videos that are really easy for parents to use at home with their kids. So that is amazing. I, I want to transition a little bit. And since you mentioned the pandemic, um, maybe just talk a little bit more about what has changed in 2020 as far as um, the teachers you've been working with. I mean, there are some obvious things of being a lot of remote uh, learning versus in school, but give us kind of your uh, recap of kind of where we started and how we evolved and where we ended in 2020. Sure. Um, so, you know, obviously the biggest change with the pandemic has been kids are physically at home. <laughs> um, we very early on started to rewrite our curriculum, knowing that it's going to be really challenging for kids to build an entire city together if they're all at their own homes. So we really worked on creating content for that would work for children 
at home that teachers could easily teach. Um, what I've noticed um, from just speaking to educators is one of the biggest challenges um, and we work primarily with elementary schools, um, has been to keep kids engaged while they're at home. And, um, you know, working from a workbook or working on Zoom all day long with, you know, just typing answers or being muted all day is not particularly engaging to children and they lose their attention very quickly. Um, so one of the things that, um, you know, I've experienced being in professional development, you know, classes, but also just talking to teachers directly is that the hands-on at-home component is really important. So whether they're using our product or they're just using paper, pen, you know, paper and scissors and tape, toilet paper rolls, just things that they have in, I mean, we have a junk drawer in our house. There's always treasures in the junk drawer that you would have thrown out, be like, hey, maybe we'll use it one day for something, this pom-pom or these stickers. Um, so pulling some of those just random materials or pulling things out of your recycling bin um, can really keep kids doing hands-on projects, being creative and being really engaged in what they're learning. And they'll learn that way as well. They may not pass the standardized tests for what's the perimeter of something, but they're learning complex 3D spatial modeling and hands-on model making and physics and engineering concepts as they build. Um, so, and I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing for people to, I mean, it's a bad reason for kids to have to experience it because of COVID, but I'm hoping that some of that, just letting go of those standards and just trying to get kids engaged will kind of rub off on people and be brought back to the classroom when we're ready. Because I do think that that's something that's huge, that's very often missing from education. And I think now kids are getting that. I mean, not to ramble on, but just for an example, like, you know, a lot of teachers have talked about like cooking now all of a sudden, like go cook something, use baking soda, use baking powder, um, use sugar and use it without sugar and see what happens to the texture of your cookie, how crunchy it is, is it burnt? And there's a huge amount of science in cooking and just the measuring part. So there's a ton of math and science and material engineering in something as simple as baking a cookie. Students would never, they don't even have home ec anymore. Like I baked cookies when I was in middle school, like we had cooking. I don't even know if they have it anymore, but it's just a lost art. And there's so much learning that can go in there and it's so engaging for kids and so exciting. And it's a shame that in normal times, it's not used as an educational tool. So I'm hoping that when COVID is done and the pandemic is over and kids go back into school, teachers are still excited about that creativity and that hands-on creativity and they keep it with their curriculum in the classroom. I love it. And I've been blessed to have some good conversations with some science companies um, in recent months. And it seems as though they've all become kind of MacGyver mode uh, companies because they're now putting out curriculum on what you can do with a cup of water and M&Ms and a paper towel and see how the dyes separate and things like that that uh, are really engaging to students and, and maybe a missed opportunity pre-pandemic. Um, 
I'd be curious to get your thoughts also on, uh, you know, the the convergence of STEM education becoming STEAM education and then becoming STREAM education. And, and it seems like it's going in this direction, which I think it should, where it really is not a separate STEM class. It is STEM getting incorporated into all other subject areas because it really does have a central part to play uh, with creativity, with reading and writing, with uh, technology. Um, and then also, I love that um, you're doing something at the the lower levels uh, primarily, uh, whereas I think the higher levels like high school have seen this um, robotics push and, you know, things that are engaging those students to go, oh, I need to know this math and science to be able to build this robot to do this thing, design thinking. Um, and so it's just really great to see that that isn't exclusive to uh, expensive or uh, complex robotics at the higher levels, that this is a great way to get those students uh, started. Yeah, that's like a, there's a lot there. I could go on forever. I'm going to try to remember the original question, but um, I, yeah, I mean, my kids learned STEM education from playing with cardboard when they were little. You don't need fancy equipment and technology. I mean, yeah, technology makes a huge difference in STEM in the workforce. But the concepts behind all of that, if you give kids like the ability to critically problem solve and um, and be creative and come up with their own creative solutions to real world problems. You don't need fancy equipment for that. And they will learn how to do robotics when they need to. Um, if they have the basic tool set from when they were little. Um, so, you know, I do think that the most basic materials like you're describing food coloring, water and a celery stick, honestly, can teach you about plants anatomy and biology, just as well as the most expensive scientific, um, you know, technology-based app that's out there. So anybody can do that. Um, in terms, I'll go back to um, your question about STEAM and STEM and STREAM and whatever's next. Um, so as a pediatrician, we have our own set of acronyms, like in medical, like, so the same CHF can be five different things in five different um, <laughs> careers. So all the acronyms can definitely be a little challenging for me, um, not being in the education field. But I'm not also a, a huge fan of acronyms in education, particularly with STEM, STEAM, STREAM, because really, as you said, like I don't believe that teaching should be in separate silos. And there's nothing that separates STEM from the humanities other than putting a letter A in there or not. Um, but children should be learning holistically. They should be learning um you know, STEM subjects when they do history because they're going to be building Egyptian pyramids and models of Egyptian pyramids. So they'll be learning about the culture of the ancient Egyptians and they'll be building the way they built when they were, you know, back in, I'm going to butcher what century it was. I'm sure it was BC. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think learning has become so siloed that we have to call every subject its own subject, where really learning should be much more holistic. 
So put as many letters in the steam stream as you want, and I'll be happy with it. Because <laughs> um, I really feel like there should be a point in school where everything is just put together and you use all of the academic tools that you have to design something and innovate and build and learn. I love it. And and to shift gears a little bit uh, here with the rest of our time, I'd like to talk a little bit more about the entrepreneurship side of um, letting your kids uh, start a business and empowering them and, and not limiting them to say, oh, that was a great idea, but, uh, you know, that can't be a full business. Uh, give some encouragement to those out there listening, whether teachers or parents, um, about uh, how to help encourage your kids in this creativity and even to the level of entrepreneurship that you found. Yeah, I mean, I, I think entrepreneurship is probably one of the most amazing tools that you could use in education. And I guess I've always thought that. Um, I've always inspired my kids to start little companies. And, you know, even if they're just like going around the block and selling things to neighbors. Um, but having experienced for the last three years the transformation in my own kids is absolutely amazing at all levels. Um, I mean, they started with a 3D printer. My daughter was not really into 3D printing. She's an artist. Um, so she drew the connectors. And what she did as a good CEO, she found somebody who could solve a problem that she knew she didn't have the skill set for, her little brother. So he designed the connectors and engineered them. And you know, then it was like, how do you start a market, start a company? They had to call the, you know, small business development center and ask questions and break barriers and being uncomfortable, making phone calls, not knowing what they were doing and inquiring and putting themselves out there. Um, you know, starting knowing what to do and how to start a company, creating a business plan, using the design thinking and thinking about your end user. Um, and just building that confidence and here, you know, and, and believing in what they're doing and sharing with others and then getting that feedback from other people is so inspiring to them. And it's so empowering and watching my teenagers run a professional development class for teachers <laughs> is kind of odd to have students teaching teachers, but the teachers love it, um, because they're inspired by our kids, um, to want their students to be that excited about learning. So it's just been an amazing experience. And watching my kids tackle subjects that they wouldn't normally want to engage with, but knowing that they need to because they need it for their product to sell, just something like packaging and branding and marketing. You know, that's a huge nut to crack for anybody, um, but they have to tackle it. Otherwise their product's not gonna get out there. So problem solving, being creative, innovating, communicating, team building, pretty much every one of those 21st century skills that kids are going to need in the workforce in the future is touched on with entrepreneurship. Absolutely. And maybe one of the biggest skills is learning how to fail and learning how to iterate and overcome that, that challenge um, without uh, the parent coming in to save the day. Absolutely. I mean, so much in academics and school is based on the grade and getting things right. Like nobody talks about like in entrepreneurship, it's not about getting things wrong. It's about 
not getting it right yet <laughs> um, and finding a workaround. I mean, we built a whole entire platform and then COVID hit and like nobody could use the curriculum because it was based on building a city together. So, you know, we could have all put our heads in the sands and been like, okay, we tried it. We did our best, you know, we'll start another company one day. Or we're like, wait a minute, we have a great tool. Let's rethink this and pivot and figure out what we can do to solve this new problem. And it panned out amazingly well because it turns out that our hands-on product is exactly what teachers want right now. Um, and all we had to do is repackage so that instead of having a classroom kit, we have individual student kits. Um, so every kid can bring their product at home, you know, do their project at home and learn new school skill sets because they're having to communicate what they built at home rather than just physically show it. So every pivot, every challenge, every failure is just a learning experience and um, it's accepted in entrepreneurship and business because it's accept it's expected. So it's just a part of the normal as opposed to in school with a test where like you didn't do well, like that's considered a failure. You couldn't be more spot on in that experience. It will carry on into the rest of their lives and in their endeavors and relationships. So um, I want to end on a on a half glass full for 2021 uh, moment. Um, I know you have some very uh, avid followers uh, of uh, your your company and your products, um, your teachers, your uh, parents. Um, and so this is a good, probably going to be a tough question to narrow down to just one success story for 2020 um, because you have so many. But if you could leave us with, you know, what is one of kind of the greatest success stories that, that you've seen in 2020? Yeah, I would say, um, I mean, that's actually an easier question um, because there is over the summer, we were really working on fine tuning this um, curriculum that's um, remote friendly and virtual. And we have, we worked with a cohort of students over the summer in a housing project that's not far from the factory where we manufacture our products. And um this housing project, the, the children didn't even have technology. I mean, they've been out of school for six months, little more than that six months, from March you know, 6th on. They had no school um, because they didn't have the technology. And these kids were suffering socially, academically. They were isolated in their, their you know, in the housing project. They could, couldn't go out because parents were scared they were going to get COVID. Um, so we worked with this group of students and we created a curriculum um, mostly through iPhones or a, a cellular phone. We taught them um, with mentors and we had them over the course of eight weeks build an adaptive structure for someone in need in their community. Um, and through that process, the kids learned, of course, the STEM concepts of how to create levers and pulleys and elevators and all of, you know, the STEM skills, but they also really used the design thinking process and used empathy, thinking about people in need in their community and really understanding more about their own community as they researched and thought through, you know, their projects. And um, at the end, there was a big celebration where all the children shared their projects and all the mentors were on. And it was just an amazing experience, but most um, incredibly was, um, we had done post pre and post assessments on the students just to see how valuable the program was. 
And the increase in their STEM skills was beyond um, <laughs> most like pre and post assessments that you would do in a live school setting, like 70% increase in their proficiency in STEM and 50% increase in their um, life skills, which were like the 21st century skills and their confidence. It was, it was just an amazing experience. And that's part of the programs that we're now using with schools, you know, across the states. That is absolutely inspiring. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that story to end our time. This has been such an interesting conversation. And kudos to you and your kids uh, for what you've been able to to do. And, and I can't wait to see what happens in uh, the rest of 2021 and beyond. We will have to have you back on the show. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me. And thank you again to our audience uh, for joining uh, this episode. Hopefully you found it interesting and uh, will want to learn more by clicking on the links in the associated blog post and checking out some videos and pictures that we'll have linked there. Um, Check out past episodes of Voices of E-Learning when you get a chance, and we'll look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks again, and always, always keep learning. Always keep learning.